2: Live.
0: Well, welcome everybody. I want to thank you all for joining us tonight. And uh we have a number of guests with us. Uh we also have um I think Bill has been with us one other time. Bill Merkel from New York. He's a friend of Ed's, and um, welcome aboard tonight. Bill, glad to have you with us. We have uh West we have Ed Henry with us, we also have West Central Illinois. Uh, Ms. Freeman, we also have Carol with us, we also have Toronto has joined us, and I'm sure we'll have some other people trickle in. Well, I think our topic tonight is one that's like I was telling John um, before we started the call tonight from Toronto, that it's really uh, just a message to myself more than anyone else. And that is the topic is uh, what is the fallacy, you know, of, you know, always thinking we're right about everything. Or we could flip it around and say, what is the fallacy of never uh, admitting you're wrong about anything? <laughs> so, uh, and and I've, I have had that tendency in the past, and you know what? Uh, we're all born and conceived in sin, and even if we're born again by the Spirit of God, we still struggle with Words. words Uh, we still have this battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. That's what Paul talks about. And I was sharing with with John that I was raised in an environment where you never admitted you're wrong, because if you did, that proved that you weren't sanctified, (laughs) okay? And you didn't have the definite second work of grace. And so consequently, you'd have to start all over again. You know? You'd have to go back and re you know, die out to the old man again and seek that definite second work of grace, which by the way is a anomaly. It doesn't even exist. If we're saved by grace uh, we, you know, now I have told people that they ask me, you know, the people in the Holiness movement. They go, well, don't you believe in a second work of grace? And I say, I believe in millions of works of grace. <laughs> okay, all the way through my life. Okay, that is preservation. That is God preserving me and and causing me to repent when I fail Him and all of that. So that's kind of an in- introduction to our subject tonight. Um, I've met people who. Um, and, you know, and I, I've shared this with people on air, and I've shared it, to so it's nothing Michael hasn't heard me share before, but uh, I was talking with Michael Smith one time, and he said, Larry, that's just my old, my spiritual pride coming out. And I said, Michael, that is an oxymoron in terms, you know, pride is not spiritual, and spiritually, being spiritual is not proud, okay? In other words, <laughs> pride You're is boring. pride, you know, and so, but… I, I do think that uh, there is times, especially you know, our students of the Bible and and and, and are trying to adhere to God's word and so on. That sometimes we get locked into a particular, our particular. Th- thinking that we have the right interpretation on something and we won't even listen to anybody else's idea. We cut them off because we're already convinced we're right. And I, I know we all have seen that from different individuals at times. And you know, I'm not talking about endorsing false doctrine now. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just being charitable enough to listen to someone else's position on it so that you can discern uh if they have uh some truth okay. and so with that uh I'm going to now we uh Bill you feel free to, but you're going to have to help me out tonight because I don't have Kevin's not on board yet and Walt's not on board so I'm going to ask you to help, and I don't see that uh, Chris has joined us yet. So uh, what are your thoughts on this just overall subject about always thinking that we have all the answers, and and in other words, this kind of lack of accountability to anyone other than ourselves?
2: Hey, how you doing? Go ahead. Yeah. So I have two babies crawling around, so if you just hear them scream. uh, Okay. Uh, So I guess there's like a sin of certainty you're talking about, right? Like... Yeah, And that we always we always had the right answer.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: I take uh, tremendous relief in the fact that the apostles Paul and Peter didn't even really have their theology straight. I mean, if you look at <laughs> Paul, right. you know, he had to go back to Jerusalem and correct Peter, and Peter That's was right. an apostle. He, he, he So, I mean, how much more am I gonna misinterpret things? You know, understand? That's
0: right. That's right. That's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I mean, it says that Paul withstood him to the face. <laughs> That's
2: what he
3: said. He,
0: And, you know, that must have been quite humbling for, for Peter to have to go through that in front of all of his peers, you know. I mean, uh, you know, this peer pressure thing, especially religionists, you know. And I don't even like the term religionist, but uh, I shared last time on the broadcast I heard this from – a guy in the restaurant came over, an older fellow came over to our table, and he was just one of these jolly old fellows that like to talk to everybody. And he said, hey, did you hear about the 98-year-old gal that got the Citizens of the Year Award? I said, no. I, I said, I never heard about it. He said, well, they asked her, you know, uh, what's what's the best thing about being 98? And she says, oh, that's easy. Very little peer pressure. <laughs> okay, Look,
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know
0: the thing of it is, no. when we're around when we're around people that we love and we hold in high esteem and everything, uh, there is a tendency to you know, in other words, we have to be careful not to compromise just to go along with the with the crowd. You know what I'm saying? Just Absolutely. to go along with, you know. Well,
2: let me ask you because this is, I guess, how I kind of separated in my mind. There's like different tiers of truth and there's your uncompromisable truths in the Bible, you know, like Jesus Christ being divine, uh, the Trinity, right, things right. like this. And then, you know, as you work your way back, there might be third tier truths which, you know what, I might have a different perspective on and I'm willing to talk to someone on and maybe hear their perspective. Um, so, and that, and that's just how I try and, you know, go about
0: my, live out my faith. Well, I think that's right. In other words, there's certain things that we are absolutely unbendable on. In other words, there's certain cardinal truths. For an example, we uphold a virgin birth. You know, we uphold uh, the Godhead. We uphold the fact that, like you said, that God is eternal. Okay, we, we uphold the doctrines of predestination, election, uh, and reprobation. But uh, when it comes to certain nuances, in other words, when we start talking about what constitutes, uh, you know, um, maybe proper protocol in the church, or practical Christian living, or some of those issues, then that that gets to be a little bit different thing. Why don't I weigh in on this a little bit and give your thoughts about the subject?
1: Who you, Who are you talking to? Hey. You're breaking up. Hello?
4: Yeah, Hi. Edward, can you hear me now?
1: Yeah, I can hear you.
0: Yeah, I just wanted you to weigh in on the subject a little bit.
1: Well, I think that uh, one way to avoid uh, that type of thing is adhering closely to God's Word. So right. if you are always willing to yield to the authority of the Bible... Then you're less likely to fall into any error, uh, and that's the that's the key thing. Uh, to be like the Bereans and check everything, if it be so. Uh,
3: right. And this
1: kind of dovetails very closely with what we were talking about last week. And interestingly, in that, uh, that when we when we began our discussion last week, it was it was the issue of a whether there be a single pastor, and whether he. He's the person who should have authority uh, in the church, the primary authority, the primary head in the church. And we never even got to address some of the important passages on that, and uh, which is good because we, we really did go into some excellent uh, issues and address some excellent issues. But the um, uh, the idea of a particular man leading the church is really how a lot of error has been injected into the church. There's nobody there to correct. Uh, the who, who who seems to be the person who's the the principal teacher uh, and pastor of the church. It's impolite to say anything if you go to him afterwards. Uh, that you know they they're offended. So you know the the every member of the church is is supposed to have the Holy Spirit as a guide. So they have the unction of the Holy Spirit and. The pastor should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Instead, they're quick to speak and slow to listen.
0: No, that's a good point. That's a really good point. And I think, by the way, Edward, uh, I think you made a lot of really good points last time. I'm not sure they were. I mean, I know that a lot of the people on the call agreed with, as I've talked to them since. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, I. Uh, I was a little bit taken back um because there was myself, there was um you know there was Kevin and there was yourself and we were all I think in a lot more than dis uh and then of course Michael had his perspective and I agree with part of Michael's perspective but I would tend to say that, you know, Kevin made a statement uh, to Michael that you know Michael uh, you need a little bit uh, uh, broader view of the church in other words your your view is so um, based upon your de- your understanding of the definition of the dictionary definition of the word rather so many people get into uh, such highly deductive legit Logical uh, definitions of the word that they have a tendency of not looking at the concept in the context of all the rest of Scripture, is,
3: and that's I think that point.
0: and I think that's what you were trying to bring in as you were trying to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what about this passage? What about this passage? What about this passage? And and this is. Again, I, I have I I mentioned to Michael Sunday. I said, Michael, you know, um, uh, you made a lot of good points on your position and everything. He said, Well, no. He goes, to, that's just a very poor f- format. That's a very poor format too. You, you know, I only had ten minutes and so on. Well, the point is that if a per, you know, I, I'm sure we all on this call would agree to this. In other words, if we're so vested in our position and we're not willing to look at any other position on the matter i mean if you were to if you were and and, and i'm sure this uh, we'll get back to michael and that's that's fine because it's in an open forum here i strongly believe for an example the house there were many house churches in the new testament okay there were many many that went from house in that house running the show. They went from house to house. That means that they were accountable to each other. It wasn't just one isolated group of people meeting. But um, I think, Ed, you made some really good points in the scriptures you point out regarding the church. I think Kevin made some good points. And, you know, about four years ago, I was in a conversation uh, on this subject um uh, and it came up, and I made the statement that I thought the church was synonymous with the Bride of Christ, you know? And, oh, man, I got lamb-blasted. I got really, really? lamb-blasted. Yeah. And, you know, so since then I've been a little cautious because I get around certain people that they, when they talk about this uh, local assembly or ecclesia or however they say it, uh, they have such a narrow definition of the local church you know I got a kick out of Michael when, he, when we were talking about gathered assemblies okay and I kept can't, can't thinking well you know we're gathered right now you know? Yep. We're, gathered, we're gathered around this phone line. We're all talking. We're all professing Christians. We're all confessing Christ. We're all gathered assembly. I mean, but he would not you, – you heard his answer when I asked him if he thought that constituted the church, and he said no, you know, because we're not local. We're not local. Well, but can, yet, I,
2: can, I just add, can I just add something really quick? Sure, please. Uh, this is, uh, Go ahead, so. please. You know one of the things I think that's really important, and um I could kind of understand where Michael was coming from, uh, yeah, to some degree and and here's my only point is part of the church body is holding people accountable, not that's just right. for for scripture but discipleship and and how they live out their lives and the decisions they make on a daily basis, and unless you're present in someone's daily circle of what they're doing. I don't know how profitable it will be to actually disciple someone. You know what I mean? I don't know. For example, you guys don't really know how much is going on in my life because we're just separated by distance. So that's my only point, and I can see how Michael could think this wouldn't really be a church.
0: I, I, I hear you, but let me just respond to that. For an example, Edward Henry uh, and myself have gotten to know each other pretty well, I think you know we have a, a what I would call a, a working relationship, and we're accountable to each other, and and the same thing with Kevin, the same thing with Walter Stickle. Now, we didn't become instant. Um, in other words, it was it was a re, it was based upon a relationship that we built over time, you know, and we got to know each other's endosyncreties, and. And Walt can tell you all about Larry's idiosyncrasies and his emotional, uh, you know, things and stuff like that. And so I think there can be a uh, relationship building over, and that's not just local, okay, that's not just local. I mean, yes, that ideally is, I agree with you on that, yeah, you're, you see people's, daily living and day, daily lifestyle uh but no, you make a really good point uh I think accountability I think we're all accountable on this call to each other, and I think that we're holding Michael accountable by you know, in other words, we're saying, hey, hold on Michael, listen to the uh, rest of the story. you know your definition is one of it's just a local assembly, and we're say, we're saying we're a gathered assembly. And we agree on, you know, I mean, Michael even said there's not a lot of things I don't agree with you guys on. Well, okay.
2: the local assembly definitely has, and this is how I actually reached out to Ed, is it has its own problems, and people get lost in the shuffle of just the uh, the Sunday morning, they sit down in the pew, and then they kind of sneak out. So they're not necessarily being discipled either. And um, yeah. so the, the local assembly it definitely has its own issues So.
3: Uh, but know, I, sure. Yeah, I, I I was here with
0: the with the church at Joplin, Sovereign Grace. Can you guys hear me? Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're
0: picking okay. up every once in a while. I don't know what the what the issue. Okay. Is. Well, I'm in a, I'm in a different location tonight, and with uh, make you know, I was sharing. I went to a a uh, primitive Baptist church up in uh, uh, northwest Missouri and first time I'd been there and we went in and sat down and this gal comes over and she goes you're sitting in my pew
3: <laughs> no way and,
0: you know, and I was like wow I couldn't believe it you know this church was founded like in 1869 or so I don't know and so I I moved, you know, and everything. And so I was talking to the elder afterwards, and he really got a kick out of it. And he says, you have to understand, some of these people have been here for years and years and years. They don't. He says, they don't mean anything by it. He says, do you know at one time the original Old Baptists? some of them even had pew rentals where people rented their pews? <laughs>
3: okay. Wow. Wow.
0: And so you know, it's just totally not biblical. There's nothing right. biblical about renting a pew, and there's no nothing biblical about telling somebody else you're sitting in my pew.
1: Okay, there's nothing, mean, actually, there's nothing biblical about a pew.
2: That's right. That's you right.
1: Know, so, uh, in fact, uh, if you if you look at Acts uh, chapter nine, what, what happened when uh, when God knocked Saul to the ground? And he said. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, why persecutest thou me? So he says, why persecutest thou me? So he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. So now remember, it was Paul who said that he persecuted the church. God is now saying, why are you persecuting me? The persecution of the uh. church is the persecution of Christ. Because wow. the church is the body of Christ. See? Yeah.
0: Wow. That's a good point.
1: So the, well, the idea you know. that somehow the church is separated from the body of Christ, that it's not the temple, that it's not the bride, it just doesn't hold up to scrutiny.
0: Well and yeah and you brought up several scriptures that point to one church not 25 different localist words rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and of course we heard Michael's response to that but I don't want to get off on you know uh just this but the whole topic is you know it doesn't matter whether you're talking about because I have I have run into this, Ed, where everybody says uh, they are, their regulated principle is the Word of God. But the very passages that they're using to substantiate their particular views, someone will use those same passages to substantiate their particular views. So it's the context. A lot of it's yep. the context. It's just like you. Uh, did you see the? Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I didn't even talk to Michael about it. I don't know why he even posed the question about that passage in in James. I, I don't know what the motive was there uh, for bringing it to the fore. But you know, was he was talking about? Of course, we know gay at that time meant something totally different than today. Uh, and he was trying to get someone's response about what was the gay clothing in James, and I think you have to look at the context of that passage. In other words, if and they are well dressed and they appear have you know, in other words, they have wealth and they have money, and you offer them a better place than someone who's poor and raggedy clothes and say sit under my feet. So you have to look at things in the context of what. I don't see how that could be interpreted any other way, do you, Ed?
1: I agree. Yeah.
0: You know. So, um, but you know, like for an example, when people talk about um, oh, I've heard I've heard long arguments about this thing over uh, <laughs> you know and and they'll take passages in Hebrews, and you know the arguments I'm sure Ed and Bill but uh about Calvin's position on how how baptism replaces circumcision, asinine things you think how can they get such a convoluted okay, first circumcision availeth doesn't avail anything. Why would they want baptism to replace something that circumcision doesn't avail anything?
3: <laughs> okay? Good, point. I just, Good point.
0: But I, I just... And, and then this whole thing about lines of generation. There's a guy he's out of... Uh, his name is uh, Ingelsma. And the guy, the guy, he's Protestant Reformed. And he's he's from... I don't know if you've ever read Herman Hoxima. He has written a book called Reformed Dogmatics. And, and I mean, some of Hoxima's works is excellent. I, I'll be honest. I mean, his he's super lapsarian all the way. I mean, he, in other words, he believes, you know, and I don't like to use terms like double predestination, but in other words, he believes Romans 9 and takes it literally. Okay? However, mm-hmm. however, the very guy that is so strong in the doctrines of the sovereignty of God in salvation and reprobation um, throws the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to uh, when it comes to how that God saves in lines of generations <laughs> you know? it's like wait a minute wait a minute you just blew your whole argument you just blew the whole structure of Romans 9 because it's got Twins in the mother's womb from the sa- you know from the same lump, okay. And he loves one and hates the other, and he want mm-hmm. build a whole doctrine about how God. You know, and, and you know, I uh it's it, you cannot take that co- the covenantal thing, okay, the covenant covenant theology, um, but anyway, Ed uh how do you deal with um, people who uh, seem that, to have an element of of pride and and how do you respond to them and and, and even you know not that people but I actually I mean I know that I struggle with this myself you know and I found that when people deal with uh, I examine myself most when i find that people show me they, they don't have to agree with me but they still show me love you know in other words they're saying hey you know Larry you're entitled to your position on that but i don't agree with you but um here's my thoughts on it and you know study it through and you know rather than in other words you know you cannot uh, my thought is you know is I used to come, right when I came into these truths, you know, I mean, I would land blast people, you know, and it, 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 it was, you know what it was? It was it was a total denial of my own doctrine of God's sovereignty and choosing who he wants to choose by me trying to coerce someone into believing exactly what I did. Anyway, Ed, what's your thoughts on this?
1: No, I think, uh, you know, it takes it does take time to, to actually learn, to yeah. be quick to listen and, and slow to speak. And the, I think a, a good approach uh, is to plant seeds. So yeah. if you're dealing with somebody who's prideful, there's not much you can do about that. The only thing you can do is be correct. See, anything you say has merit based on the authority of what you say. The idea that because somebody says something and says it well, that somehow that gives them a certain degree of credibility, that's the world system where you have orators who, by their silky tongues, are able to convince others of certain things that are just not true. Uh, that's how we get these megachurches where these pastors get up there without citing any passages really and just by the force of their personality and their skill in oration are able to drag others along. Well, the, the only way to deal with that is with authority, and the ultimate authority is in the Bible. You know, if you quote passages from the Bible and you have your argument down, then th- that, that's the only way to win over, uh, but you might never, because a lot of these people who are very prideful or prideful, because they have an agenda. Uh there are a lot of pastors in churches and a lot of people who have agendas other than the gospel. There really there there are some people who are there to undermine the gospel and they don't care what the truth is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that's always been hard for me to You know, except, you know, you want to believe, but you're absolutely right. In other words, you want to believe the best in people. You want to believe that their motives are pure as a driven snow and all that. But like you said, as as you get to know these people and you see their underlying, uh, you know, motives and what they're, you know, uh, are they there to build something for themselves? You know, I... uh, I, when I was in school, uh, to high school, and there was a fellow, a well-to-do background. I don't know what his father, you know, I don't, I don't know what his father did or whatever. But you could tell there was money in the family, and and uh, this guy was a very articulate speaker. Um, he was also very well presented. He was very handsome. All the girls loved him. That kind of thing, and. As we were nearing our graduation in high school and so on, um, I got to talking to him. His name is Dennis Slavens, And I said, Dennis, what do you plan to do vocationally You know, with your life? He goes, oh, that's easy. He goes, I'm going to build me a church. I go, really? He goes, yeah, I'm going to pastor. He goes, I'm going to have one of the most successful churches in Kansas City. I said, how do you know that? He goes, because I've made a decision. That's what I'm going to do, man. He said, you know, and, you know, today he has Family Life Center uh, in uh, Merriam, Kansas, just a suburb of Kansas City. One of the most successful. He's built on two or three times. He's traveled all over the world. And, you know, uh, and he was very open and clear to me. You know, he was not going to go. In other words, the reason he was doing this is because he wanted that lifestyle, It wasn't, you know, in other words, he was building himself a church and a ministry so that he could have a lifestyle and and go around the world. And and he's accomplished, you know, God's allowed him to, for this thing from doctrinal, I mean, he's Pentecostal, he's into the, you know, special revelation, the tongues movement, everything that goes along with it, you know. Uh-huh. But there's there's an example what Ed's pointing to. In other words, it's very clear that his motives are not biblically centered at all because of his, you know, what he's setting about to do. You know. So um, now I think Kevin is this Kevin or is this Chris from California? Okay. Uh, we've got someone that just called in from California, and I don't know, you know, again, if it's Chris or if it's uh, Kevin or maybe someone else. So uh, welcome aboard, and if you have any comments, you're unmuted, so your mic is open if you uh, want to share with us.
1: Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that you, you mentioned the the idea that he's going to build a church. Because if you, if you look at what Jesus said about his church, um, he said that whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister.
4: Yeah. And whoever
1: will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Okay? And, uh, and he made the point, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. So to, to be a minister of the church is to be a service to it's a, actually a verb to minister to somebody. And and isn't it interesting when you look at um uh what and who wrote third John? Was that was that John? <laughs> I guess yeah. it was John. Yeah, yep. yeah, it yeah. was John. He,
3: yeah.
1: yeah, he said I wrote under the church, but the diatrophies who love to have the preeminence among them received us not. So here's a person who loved to have the preeminence, and he received not the apostles. All
3: right. Okay. All right.
1: and, and who is supposed to have the preeminence? In Colossians 118, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. Okay, the body is the church. This is in Colossians 118, so there's so much in here. So, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that is in all things he might have the preeminence. So men are not to have preeminence in the church. It is Christ who's to have the preeminence. He's the head of the body, which is the church. And so there are uh, people who fulfill certain uh, functions within the church as ministers, but as servants. This idea of a, a particular man who leads uh, the church, uh, who has uh, preeminence, that's a concept which is not, not found in the New Testament. Hello?
4: Hello? Okay, sorry, Sorry. I had my mic muted because
0: I wanted to make sure uh, I'm in this other location, so I mute my mic so you come through a little bit more clearer. But you're absolutely right, and you see in the New Testament church that it's almost like uh, you have this body of leadership that are really edifying and building each other up. I think of Paul, I think of Timothy, I think of Peter, I think of the Apostles. And you you see Aquila and Priscilla, and you see uh, really one of the really interesting chapters in in the Bible is the 16th chapter of Romans. And as you go through that, uh, Paul is really uh, thanking all of those who have uh, been such a uh, edification to him and in, in the church, building the church up. It wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just Peter or Timothy or Aquila and Priscilla or uh, uh, the gal that was. Uh, who was it? What was her name? The the had the uh, the the worker of purple. I forget her name now. The Lydia. Lydia. Yeah. How she, God opened Lydia's heart and so on. Uh, now, I also want to uh, welcome uh, Louise. I think that's Louise that's with us from central Minnesota. And, Louise, I've kept your mic muted just so that it won't... I think you're on a cell phone, probably. So, um, but anyway, back to Bill. Uh, Bill, how uh, do see this out? In other words, if you... If you ran into someone who was so vested in their particular um, position on something, not necessarily doctrinal. Um I'll give you an example. Um <laughs> well I guess it is doctrinal. There's a group um, and I, I love these people. Uh I don't question their their election, I don't question their salvation. The guy is on Sermon Audio and has some awesome messages. Uh, He happens to be, I think he calls himself, I think he calls himself either, uh, I think he calls himself Primitive Baptist or Old School Baptist or something to that effect. And He's way up in uh, North, I think he's up in around Wisconsin or something. And I was going to go up and visit him, you know, uh, and fellowship with him, take my family up and visit with him. And I called him on the phone. We had a real nice talk, and we were setting up a time where I was going to come up and see him and stuff. And he said, oh, by the way, (laughs) by the way, uh just as a caution whenever someone says by the way look out okay <laughs> because the by the ways or or if someone starts complimenting you and 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 you know pouring out the compliment there's usually a butt in there somewhere <laughs> okay mm-hmm. so anyway he said by the way he goes just just to give you a heads up you know he goes I hope you're not offended by this or anything but but we do believe in head coverings you know and and he said, uh, we require that, you know, that uh now this is where I think he is in error. He said, but we require that all the women uh that, that come in here wear a head covering. And your if your wife doesn't have a head covering, we'll provide her one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now now listen, uh I've heard a lot of different renditions on this subject of head covering. Okay? Now, my understanding, and if I'm wrong, I stand corrected, okay? But my understanding of the Scripture is, one, is that a woman's hair is a glory unto her, and that's that's her head covering. And again, Paul said, if someone, you know, wants to do that, that's okay. But I think he said, and I'm paraphrasing, we have no such, okay, but... But the idea is that when you're with them, if they have an issue over that, it's kind of like eating meat or being, you know, someone who just thinks they should eat vegetables. I mean, once a person starts getting into works, okay, apart from the Christ alone, apart from, you know, uh, now, we could get into all kinds of subjects. I mean, I, I've been around these folks. We can get into foot washing. You know, we could get into uh whether you eat leavened or unleavened bread in your in your uh communion service. I mean I could tell you when we were when I was attending the Kansas City Primitive Baptist Church, you know, uh the uh pastor's wife came to my wife and she said, uh, we want you to be the one this time around communion to to cook to, to bake the unleavened bread, you know, and here's the recipe, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just using that as an example, okay. And if people get, I mean, sometimes people get downright they they will defellowship on these issues, okay. Bill, what's your uh, what's your take on this? And then I'll go back to Ed, and then California, if you want to jump in, feel free to do so. But Bill, what about these areas that? people may have a little bit different understanding of, you know, whether you have to have unleavened bread or leavened bread or whether you have wine or grape juice. or well, What about these areas?
2: Jeez. Uh, I, I, I could <laughs> say specifically on each issue, but I, I look at it as a tension between the head and the heart. I think some people uh-huh. I'm so focused on, um the the heady issues of work yeah make sure sure you do these things properly and they're missing the whole heart of the issue um yeah you know so like i know an older gentleman who he's not the brightest but he has a heart for god he has a heart for christ wakes up every morning by his bedside prays for people sends me text messages and uh you know i'll take someone like that who just has a, a real passion for christ a real passion for prayer and uh you know, rather than you know these these, these smaller
0: issues that I, I don't really think edify anyone. Well, I think you I think you said that right. In other words, you know, I think Christ Himself, when He was talking to the Pharisees, you know, He says, and I'm paraphrasing, but He says, you know, you you clean the outside of the cup when you should be working on the inside of the cup. In other words, you know. Uh, and they they liked to wear the long uh, robes and the phylacteries and be seen in the chief places and the marketplaces, and they were known for their long prayers and on and on and on, but yet he said they were full of dead men's bones, you know. Ed, what's your take on on this uh, just overall, um, when people get into demanding that you do everything just exactly the way they do things?
1: boy uh i i always have to yield to what god's word says and yeah um, you know on the head covering thing i haven't researched it and I, I know both points and i don't i i haven't really come down one way or the other on that so I, you know I, it hasn't <laughs> been an issue in my life
3: but, right. you know, if
1: if I had to study it, I'd have to go back and study it. I just don't know the answer to that.
3: Well, like so I said. And so
1: on some of these things, and so take, take for instance, um, uh, baptism, okay? I've studied that, and now there's two baptisms here. There's a baptism, of, it seems, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit when you're born again, right? And then... Right. There's the baptism with water now in certain passages it's not it's not entirely clear to me which baptism they're talking about and so this I see a lot of doctrine that is born out of this idea of interpreting all baptism passages as a reference to water baptism which I don't think they all can be and so I agree with you that. Really, yeah you really have to read carefully Absolutely. Uh, and and try to discern, you know, what what God is saying. And there is a built-in dictionary, by the way. It's only found in the King James. So if 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 things are are not clearly understood, if you just read the the passages in context, sometimes God explains exactly what he means by what he says. So I'd have to really study any particular issue before I. Uh, well, down- and, and that, that,
0: you bring up an excellent point, Ed, because that you just made my point for me, and I think Bill just made the point too. There are a lot of people that haven't thoroughly studied all of these issues, and so to put them in the same category – as someone who has thoroughly studied it, and those people who have thoroughly studied it, to demand that those people who haven't thoroughly studied it and don't have a full understanding of it, be put under the yoke of their understanding i think is is uh in other words <coughs> lacking. Uh, a certain element of Christian liberty. Now, I do think that there are certain things that you know we have to draw the line. For an example, if I, you know, if someone came in into this little house church where we worship and they ask if they if I would baptize them by sprinkling, <laughs> I would say no. I I can't do that. You know, I think that the Bible is clear that you know that that uh I don't see any I don't see any evidence throughout the Bible that uh, uh the very word baptizo means to be immersed in other words and so I would I would explain that to someone you know uh, if someone came in and said would you recognize my baptism you know and and uh, would you let me uh, uh but see the thing of it is a lot of this do Structured, you know. I I don't see. Uh, and again, if I'm wrong on this, I stand correct. I'm bringing a lot of things up for a lot of different reasons tonight. We're talking about, and we're talking about those that think they're on a higher level than someone else. Can you imagine uh, the lady at Samaria, uh, Christ? Sitting down and telling her, "Hey, you know what? You don't have a head covering on. And by the way, have you been immersed? And by the way, uh, you know, do, uh, when was the last time you attended the foot washing?" So, I'm just being facetious now. No, Christ, you know, and he said, "I must needs go to Samaria." When when Nicodemus was up in the tree he didn't say, Nicodemus, you know, you go and be baptized and then I'll come and have tea with you at your house. See what I'm saying? In other words, I think that the overall tenure is, now I'm not trying to say we're Christ's, but we are representatives of Christ, and there's a reason that he showed the response. Remember when Mary Magdalene came in and broke the ointment and and they were all giving her fits, you know, because she spent all this money and it could have been given to the poor and so on. And so anyway, I just bring up now yeah. we
2: have let's see Can I just, uh, uh go ahead. Just to uh, mention something really quick and something came in mind. You know, if I go to feed my son who is uh 3 years old a uh, steak He's going to not be able to eat it. He's going to choke on it. So i have to give him, you know, yogurts and mashed up food and, you know, some
3: cutting, right.
2: cutting pieces of food. I, I think that has to do a lot with Christians and where they're in with their walk. And, you know, if you start holding, you know, heavy doctrines over people's heads, especially if they're a new believer, you might just crush them, you know.
3: So sure. I think sure. There's, there's
2: a maturity aspect of it as well, you know. That's, so, that's, that's, that's a good point. Yeah.
0: I think that's exactly what Paul's talking about when he talks about the milk and the meat, you know?
3: Yeah.
0: And I think that, you know, when we're new Christians, uh when when a new Christian comes, we are we're to nourish and to to nurture and to build those up in the faith and not to be uh you know. I uh now, Michael has a term, he, and he I don't necessarily agree with it, when he says, I like front-door discipline better than back-door discipline. I don't necessarily like that term because it's, the attitude is, you know what? Just kick them out before they get a chance to show how doctrinally incorrect they are. I mean, look, if someone is, is searching for the truth of the Word of God, and they haven't said under the Word of God, how are they going to get the Word of God if you're going to kick them out before they even have a chance to hear it? Yeah. And, and Anyway, that's, that's just my... Now, if someone is in the church, I'll give you an example. I'm not going to call any names or anything, but I was in a situation in a church one time where there was a, um, uh, a husband and wife there, and the husband proclaimed the sovereignty of God in in sovereign grace and salvation and the wife was a um, in your face free will Southern Baptist and you know she was wanting to go around tell everybody else about the fact that she was Southern Baptist and the fact that the only reason she was there was because of her husband and so on okay that's a little different scenario But especially if it's ongoing and it's causing division and stuff in the church and causing uh, conflict and so on. So you always have these things. Now, we've had Guest 5 join us. Uh, I think he's logged in as well. Uh, Welcome, Guest 5. But no, Ed, you make a good point. I think that these things are to be studied out. Um, But I think we... Oftentimes, they are not as charitable as we might be uh, in some areas, especially in these areas where, you know, isn't there a passage? Uh, and I, I'd, I'd have I need to look these up, I guess. But there's a passage that refers. You've heard this. There's an secular. They use it all the time. When you're in Rome, you do as the Romans do. Well, but but Paul talks about that when you, in other words, when you go into a fellowship. In other words, you as much as and he also says, even in the context of our relationship with people in the world, as much as possible, live peaceably with all men. You know, as much as possible, and uh, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to promote in any way. Uh, compromise of doctrine or compromise of faith or or whatever, but I have been guilty of this myself in the past where if someone just didn't line up right down the line, I was ready to castigate them and throw them under the bus, so to speak. And I was just thinking, you know, look, God, Christ didn't throw me under the bus. You know, Christ was gracious Absolutely. to me, and he's been gracious to me all the way through I mean, he's been gracious to me this week, you know.
3: But what, what and, and
1: about what about a situation where you you clearly perceive that what is being done in that church is error? It's contrary to scripture. So, take the charismatic movement, for instance. Uh, you you go to a service, and now they start. Barking like dogs, <laughs>
3: talking
1: gibberish, uh, you know, and it it's you can't really stay very long. I mean, you kick yourself out of a church like that. Oh, that's you know?
0: right. I mean I, I think that's that that is absolutely right. I think that you when they are in gross error, you know, uh Yeah, in other words, the Holy Spirit is going to deal – you're not, like you say, you're not going to be able to stay there. I mean, I had a situation. I've I've had people to ask me sometimes, how come you're so much against the charismatics and so on? And I said, well, you know, I have uh, visited a number of – in the past – Assemblies of God, Pentecostal, uh, those people that are speaking other terms. and I said, not one time, okay, have I ever seen a demonstration of the proper order in the church within the context of, of those churches? The women, and I, this isn't picking on women, I but the women are usually totally out of control. They're the
3: uh,
0: they're the ones that are running the show. They're the ones that are laying their hands all over people. They're the ones that are that are babbling and putting out all this, uh, this gobble glue that you can't even understand. And Paul said, let the women be silent in the churches. Let them learn at home from their husbands. So th- I agree. that's enough. That's enough for me to know that you know what
3: <laughs> this
0: is. This is not of God. This this, and you know, like I said before, there's a whole movement up in Kansas City, the Saint Paul Theological Seminary, that has classes that teach that uh, the Apostle Paul's doctrinal teachings were for the culture that he lived in, and they're not for us today. And that's how they've gotten to the point where they can. They can bring women into ordination. They can bring lesbians into the church. They can bring homosexuality into the church. They're, in other words, anything that Paul mandates is thrown out the window because of our culture.
1: But see, you you call it a church? Those are covens.
0: No, no, they're not no.
1: churches. No. no, I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm being false sure church. People, but I'm I'm telling you yeah. right now, there are a lot of churches that are more like covens in the way their are goes.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. there was uh, I when I was overseeing foster homes and stuff, uh, one of the foster parents was a deacon or an elder one of the two in the COGIC, which is the Church of God in Christ, which is primarily uh African American. And he asked me if I would come and visit his church, so I took <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But anyway, we went and visited his church, Mark and Rosette and myself. I've never in my life seen such absolute chaos. It was anarchy. The whole the whole church was total anarchy. There was no order. It was all emotionalism. It was all uh you know, it's just uh, just unbelievable, you know. I mean, it's just like the Rodney Howard Brown stuff. I mean, and, and so you—I actually—I
2: uh, come from a background like that. I, I'm actually just coming out of uh, stuff like that. So,
0: oh, uh, so you
2: understand, okay. yeah? Oh my, oh my God! It's it's absolutely chaotic, chaotic.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. So. You know,
1: I, 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 I it, when, when I read uh, the Book of Acts, chapter two where mm-hmm. they talk about the gift of tongues, my reading of that, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, my reading of that is that the miracle was that they heard their own language. That's right. So, That's right. so each of the apostles yes. was speaking, but that the, all of the different Jews from all of the different areas heard in their own language, and that it was those right. who said, hey, we hear him speak in our language, and it was those that they were claiming were drunk, not the speakers. It was the listeners. Am I right on that? Yeah, yes, absolutely.
3: Yeah, you're right.
1: Okay. And you know
0: that, and that the, the reality of it is that now there are certain parts that in Corinthians there, um, I, I will say, uh, when he gets into the gifts and so on. Uh, I will be the first, and and a lot of people don't like it when I say this, but I'm just being truthful. I don't understand some of it. I I don't understand when Paul starts talking about praying in an unknown language and so on. Um, And I've studied through it. He talks
2: about talking in uh, the tongues of angels, and a lot of times people will use that verse to mean gobbledygook.
0: (laughs) Right, right. But here's the thing. Why does Paul? Here's my point. You know, even if the people want to go down that rabbit trail about this unknown language and all this stuff, why does Paul spend a whole chapter saying, "I would rather you speak five words than that I can understand than ten thousand that I can understand." I mean, he he is very clear there. He makes the demarcation so clear that if you can't understand what people are saying, it's it's total uh, chaos. Okay, in other words, and so that's that's the the whole crux of the matter. I get around people that uh, you know, I really when people come up to me and they say uh, the the Lord gave me a word for you and stuff like this. I immediately take him back to Jeremiah, you know. What did the prophet Jeremiah say? If they come unto you saying, someone saying, I have a word of the Lord from you, you know, look out. I mean, I'm paraphrasing again. But in other words, look, the word of the Lord is already given to us. All we have to do is read it, okay. And for for God's people, he will reveal the truth of his word to us. That's what Ed was
1: saying. In those few words, you encapsulated so much. You know, the word the Lord has already given to us. All we have to do is read it. That is so powerful when you think about it, that simple thought, that simple concept.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, that's why, you know... That gets back into the whole thing about the preservation of his word. That's the reason why he's preserved it down through the ages. That's why when somebody starts attacking me, saying, you know, you're one of those King James Version-only people and stuff, I'll say, wait a minute. Do you believe the King James Version is the word of God? And they go, I don't believe it is the only word of God. And I say, no, you didn't answer my question. Do you believe the King James version of the Bible is the authorized version of the Bible is the Word of God. And if they say, well, there's parts of it I don't, or if they say, uh, I don't agree with the translators, or if they say, what about the parts in italics? Or, I don't care what they say. When they, If they attack it, I just ask them one other question. Mm-hmm. So you don't believe that God preserved the King James Version of the Bible the last 400 and... Mm-hmm. 20 30 years including the fact that the italics were put in there including the fact that there were some translators that you say one well, might have been armenian whatever okay <laughs> it doesn't in other words once you start questioning the word of god and his ability to preserve it the last 400 years and you think that English are and all this, these corrupted texts that they got out of a waste can out of Vatican is better. Uh, that's all I need to know, really. Because, you know what? I believe that his word is. I believe that that, that word was preserved. I believe that... Uh, I don't think that anything just happens by happenstance. Okay? And so, anyway... Um, uh, the Word of God is very important, and, and that's why when Ed said, you know, it's important to study these things out, and we're told to study to show ourselves approved, a workman, uh, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, you know? And so, um, anyway, to let's see here. Just trying right, to see.
2: Just one thing, something that I actually I've experienced this actually within the past month. Um, sure. Someone came over. I, I, you know what? Like I said, I, I just really became Reformed within the past uh, year or so. And uh, I, I've been studying different, uh, like Calvin and Lutheran, things like that. Someone came over to my house recently. I, I love art. I have different, uh, you know, Christian artwork. I have a picture of Jesus that someone uh, painted up that I know. And they came over and they saw the picture of Jesus. And they said, hey, brother, this is a second commandment violation. Why do you have this hanging up? And I, I actually didn't even think that, and I'm like, you know, I, I didn't know how to respond to them. And I said, you know what, let me, let me actually look into it, and I'll get back to you. So getting back to these issues within, you know, that, these doctrinal issues that uh, might be more important to someone else than to uh, someone who's less mature.
0: Yeah, and you know what? It's it's interesting you bring that up because you know now for someone like myself, you know, who was raised with a lot of uh, graven images and idolatry, and a lot of like you said, I I mean the church that my mom attends, uh, they had a big old, they had a big huge. There was an artist in the. That was affiliated with the church movement. Tremendous artist. He worked for Hallmark Cards, yeah. But he did a, a picture of the Secret Rapture, with Christ coming back and rapturing the church out of here, you know. And then he he did a he did several paintings several years of Christ, uh, some Emmanuel, Emmanuel up and stuff, and and. um, So when I go into a church now, or if I ever have to, you know, go into a church and I see a picture, a big picture of Jesus, or, you know, or if I see people wearing these crosses, you know, I see uh, the other day there was a video on from my mom's church. uh, the, The preacher had a big old wooden cross around his neck. And I told my mom, I said, I can't believe that you're minister wears a cross around his neck like oh she goes he doesn't wear a cross around his neck. I said it's on the video of the church service okay But now see that stands out to me because uh, there was do you know one of the one of the most one of the, the songs that was sung over and over and over when I was coming up as a child the old rugged cross how I love that old cross, you know, where he suffered and died and so on. I don't like that song. The emphasis should not be on the cross, but the emphasis should be on the completed work of Christ. Christ is not on the cross anymore, you know. Cross has come, that he's down off of that cross. He was buried and he rose again. Paul says that if we were if If he were if he had not risen again, we'd be yet in our sins. And see, that's what Roman Catholicism does. They keep Christ on the cross, they resacrifice him. Well, I didn't mean to get on a rant, <laughs> okay, but so, so you see that's the different perspective, you know uh, and and so that person that came over to your house, might have had a similar perspective of mine, in other words, he's saying, you know, like I'll see these uh, secretaries, I'll go into a business office or one I have these silver crosses around their neck, you know, and a lot of people say, well, they're just showing their statement of faith they're, they're that this is just an emblem of their faith, you know, or whatever um, but i
1: well you, he, you, you raise you raise a good point if what you do is going to offend somebody else, then you have, to, you have to stop and think, is this a good thing for me to do? Um, yeah. So think about it. If somebody's offended by what you do in a religious sense, I mean, I, I tell my kids, I don't live my life for me. I try to set an example for them. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, for instance, I enjoy the taste of beer. I like to have one beer. But I would not drink beer at dinner for the reason that I don't want them to see a man in the house drinking beer. I just don't want yeah. I just, gotta, I yeah. do that to set an example that this is not... I, this I'm,
0: is, I'm so glad you brought... That's a perfect example you bring up. And the reason it's such a perfect example, um, there's a guy on Facebook and he is a a pastor okay and he's reformed he's reformed perspective and uh uh you know i i mean he he's he's very outspoken and stuff and he's always talking about his liberty in Christ and everything and he has a picture of himself with a great big old mug of beer and he says don't don't come against me because i have my mug of beer I I am not under the law. I'm under grace. But see that that just totally annihilates what you've just stated. His his you stated it so well, Ed. In other words, he's thinking of his own liberty. He's not thinking of all the poor example he's showing to millions of people around the world that may not under you know. I'm not faulting the guy for having having a. You know, a glass. Now, you know, I, I, mean, I think Scripture even says, "Drink a little wine for your stomach's sake." Now, I know a lot of people say, you know, you shouldn't even say that. You shouldn't even quote the Scripture. And there's a person on this call right now that will tell you that that she struggled with these people that because she came out of alcoholism, yeah,
3: and she, yeah.
0: she 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 and she wants to avoid the very appearance of evil. Okay. There
3: you go.
1: Yeah, but so, in, you know, understand, glad, understand this: uh, there are some places where the only the only pure drink you can have has alcohol in it. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's what it is in in some places. And uh, uh, beer and wine is the is the only way. I mean, that's what I've been told. It's not the way yeah. it is here in the United States. In the United States, we have clean water on tap. So, uh, but the uh, another another point is this. Uh, I find no place in Scripture where we're ever to use symbols uh, for our faith. I don't see that anywhere. I don't see yeah, it I'm, in I, any passage. You don't have to point. I see I see reference to uh, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Okay? Right. Now, graven means carved. I don't know what that means with regard to pictures. I quite frankly, that is a good point, and I don't know the answer to that. I was talking with somebody the other day who's Greek Orthodox, and I was, one of the, my criticisms of Greek Orthodoxy was that the, they followed the Roman Catholic view of graven images, and he corrected me and said, no, 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 we have icons, we have pictures, we do not have graven images, so he was making that distinction, and I, uh, you know, I said, well, okay, I stand corrected. You know, so apparently Greek Orthodox does not have the graven images of the Roman Catholic Church. They have pictures. They call them iconographs. So there is, um, I don't know where, where, but I will tell you this, that the Bible does say it's a shame for a man to have long hair.
3: That's right. And so if
1: you look at the typical pictures of Jesus, they have him with long hair. So the devil is very cleverly displaying a figure of Christ in a picture which is shameful. Now,
3: that's
1: right.
0: And, you know, there's a lot of uh, other uh, aspects of that, even if you get into the uh, so-called movies with Christian religious themes. You know, even the old... Ten Commandments movie, where you have Ben-Hur and all that, and, and I remember watching that as as a child, you know, and, and uh, I mean, the, in other words, see, I, I go back to context, because if you read the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not make any likeness unto, in other words, to attribute that this is Christ, okay, that that's the way I have received it, in other words, uh if you go back and look at the context um
1: well, it says, I shall make this Yeah, I read it for what it says, oh. shall not make them to the any graven image. a graven image is a carved image, oh, you know you're right, it says or any likeness,
3: yes, yes,
1: or any no, you're right, it says or any likeness yeah. of anything that yeah. is in heaven above, I never you know until you just pointed that out
0: yeah I, it's broader I it's I broader thinking. than it's broader than just graven image, you know.
1: It is, isn't it? So now let yeah. me ask you this: What does that mean with regard to things that are that are not, for instance, uh, that are not religious in nature? So, uh, paintings uh, that you have on your wall that are of, you know, who knows what, uh, or pictures or photographs? Is that what that is? I mean, I don't tell, think tell so. Me, I think it's talking about.
0: I think it's talking specifically about attributing a likeness to God. In other words, a tra- painting or, 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 you know, a tr- making anything that is supposed to represent God. That's the way I...
1: Okay. Yeah. You know, okay. Because you know. it comes right after, thou shalt not have, thou shalt no other
2: gods before me.
3: Yeah. Okay. I ask,
2: can I ask one question really quick? And this is actually yeah, sure. Right Something I'm wrestling with because it was just brought up to me. I mean, Christ had human nature and uh, divine nature, and if someone's representing Christ's human nature, not necessarily his divine nature, would that still fall under that second commandment?
0: Well, I think, I think, I don't think, in other words, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but um, whenever you start. The son of son of man, you know, you have. It's impossible to se- separate out the the two natures. In other words, he was the son of God, and he was a son of man, and he was in the flesh, but he was always divine. See, this this is really something that's hard to wrap our minds around you know it says that uh, he became flesh and dwelt among us but the fact is that he was you know what did he say to his parents at 12 years old must you don't you um, I'm paraphrasing but don't you know that I I need to be about my father's business okay here he was now uh, that now Ed what how What's your answer to to, to 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 Bill's question? In other words, my answer would be okay. Whenever you're representing, for an example, you you put a picture up of of the long-haired Jesus, which, again, like Ed said, is not even biblical. I'm just using this as an example, by the way. Um, or you're you put up a uh, cross, and you're you know i've heard christians talk about the fish symbol and how the early christians used the fish symbol to represent that they were christians and so on you know we don't we don't need symbols we don't need crosses we don't need uh, you know our 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 faith is a matter of the heart not of the outward uh nature of things see that's why i so uh, am somewhat opposed to all of these creeds and confessions and synods and sessions. Because once you start saying, well, I go by the Philadelphia Confession or I go by the London Confession, the problem is, is or the Westminster Confession or the Synods of Dort or whatever it is, usually those are revised and changed I don't know how many times the Westminster Confession's been changed. You know, it's not the Bible. Yes, they use Bible, they use certain scriptures to show that this is why we believe, this is what we believe, this is our creed and so on. But once you start taking man man's interpretation of the Bible and not just relying solely upon the Bible, then you start having more and more um, allegations. <laughs> I don't know. Go ahead, Ed.
1: Well, uh, just to uh, touch base, First um, Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 uh, does indicate that, does not even nature teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. So any depiction of Christ with long hair, first of all, is a shameful depiction, and I would view that as blasphemy if you portray Christ in a shameful way. Yeah. If that's how if that's how that picture is depicted, I have no idea. Now, with regard to using any symbolism, for a Christian should uh, should his the way he treats other people in love, self-sacrificing for others is how a person needs to know that they're a Christian. If they need a yeah. symbol like a backwards collar or a cross around yeah. their neck or flowing robes. Then, then that is heathenism. And in fact, take that fish symbol. That fish symbol is actually a heathen symbol. As, yeah, as,
3: yeah. as, as, you,
1: as you know, all heathen religions were uh, are phallic religions. And that fish is actually not a representation of Christianity. That fish is a representation of the female Yonah. And I don't want to get into too much graphic stuff, but these heathen religions are sex okay, and the, when, and the when they used to uh, ensure that somebody, uh, when they were living in, in uh, uh, they were trying to avoid persecution, it, their passwords were always Bible passages. And the way I understood it is the way the symbolism was brought into the church was they, they what they found is in order to uh, infiltrate the church, uh, the Jews and the Romans would have to memorize the Bible. Well, in memorizing uh-huh. the Bible, they then became believers in Christ, and they kept losing their spies. And so what they did <laughs> was they, 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 they brought infiltrators in who said, let's use symbols instead. It's easier.
3: Uh-huh. So they would uh-huh. use
1: symbols to determine who was a Christian in order to prevent they're spies from being saved.
0: Wow. Wow, that's interesting. Well, yeah. I was thinking about Dagon, and I was thinking about the, what's those, help me out, Ed, those those crazy hats that the, the priest wears?
3: Yeah,
1: the mites, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, and all of way, that if, stuff, you, if you turn sideways and look at it, they look it looks like, like a horn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lamb you know. Forms,
0: see. You know the thing that's been so amazing to me is that, like you said, wasn't there? And there, uh, help me out on this, Ed. But there, there was, uh, there was a time when the Roman Catholic Church actually uh, embraced graven images, didn't they? I mean, they they brought them right into the church. They, oh,
1: in oh, fact, there, there's no, there's no, there was a time they do it to this day.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean there was you walk was into a, a
1: Roman Catholic church and it is filled with great energy. Yeah. And,
0: and wasn't and what, a lot of that wasn't a lot of that ushered in by Constantine by trying to bring in the pagan uh practices right into the church?
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. And and by the way, they justify it to this day by the argument that when Christ was incarnated, when God came down was incarnated as Christ that he 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 brought about a new era of images and therefore Uh, it was okay now to have graven images well here's the problem with that if you read the new testament it repeatedly god does repeatedly admonishes against idols wow that's so uh if you 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 see um in fact i'm going to try to find a passage here um to keep yourself from idols. Uh, here we go. Let's see. Let's find a passage here. Um, little children, First John chapter five, verse twenty-one. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. So.
0: Wow, well, you know that brings up a whole other thing. Um, I was I was talking to someone the other day. First course, I came out of humanistic psychology and all that garbage, and they were asking me, you know, well, how can you, you know, marriage, <laughs> how can you marry uh, psychology and Christianity? You know, how can you take the, you know, there's a saying going around now in Christian circles, you probably heard it, take the best and leave the rest. In other words, the idea is, you know, take 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 the good stuff from education, secular education, and leave the stuff that isn't good, but take the good stuff and apply it to Christianity. It sounds like Constantine all over again. I mean, yeah, and anyway, yeah. anyway. Um, I said to this person, "I said, you know what? I said you cannot mix psychology, humanistic psychology, and Christianity. It's like oil and water. They will not mix because one is opposed to the other. It's like, for an example, I'll give you just one one quick example. Uh, you know, uh, humanistic psychologists, you know, will tell you that." Uh, Stress is something that you can manage through an act of the will, okay? In other words, if you're stressed out over something, they'll tell you how you can manage your stress by um, what they call redirecting your consciousness in other tasks, in other directions, and so on, okay? Now, the the, the interesting thing about this is... Um, This guy was going through all of this, and uh, I said, "Do you know what the Do you know what the definition, the real definition of stress is?" And he goes, "Well, I know what stress is because I'm stressed out right now." I said, "No, but (laughs) I said, what is the definition of stress?" He goes, I want to hear this. I want to hear Larry's definition of stress. <laughs> I said I said the definition of stress is the ultimate denial of the sovereignty of God in your life.
1: Wow. Oh my. Oh my.
0: That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, that's what it is. You know? If one if one is resigned to the will of God, if one is resolved that God is master of all things, he works all things after the counsel of his own will, our stress goes away. Because yeah. we're, resi- we're resigned. It's like Christ said, not my will, but thy will be done. You know?
1: Well, but you, that's know you, what... just drove, you know, you just drove home to me how forgetful I am of that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I actually have a, a little bit of a, a quick, very quick story about that. Um, I actually just like I said, I've been learning these things. Um, they're brand new concepts to me. And um, the sovereignty of God was something that immensely changed my perspective. I saw God in a whole new light. It blasted open the doors of my heart. I was at tremendous peace. And uh, I'm a police officer up in New York. And um, I had just discovered this, the, the sovereignty of God. And um, I'm driving around. And I get a call at the mall for an active shooter. And at that moment, my my heart sank because, well, I was scared, and I said, "Oh my goodness!" And as I'm getting out of my R.P., this overwhelming sense of peace, and I, I mm. knew my was in the hands of of God, and I knew ultimately that uh, you know He He controls whether I die or live, and I, yeah. I was at so yeah. much I was at so much peace. I it was just incredible. So. That that's that's a great life.
3: story.
0: That's a wonderful story, and that's that. Exactly.
2: And notice, and notice what you hear here.
1: He did, he did his duty. Yeah, you're about yeah. your duty. You see, so it's everybody is afraid of one thing or another. But in other words, despite that, you did your duty. See, that's the when when there's trouble, there are people that run towards the trouble. They. And so that
3: yeah, that yeah. you
1: were you were about your duty, that's important. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you know it's interesting. You nailed it, Bill. Because uh, there's a my son. Uh, you know, sometimes the nature of his brain problems causes a lot of disorientation. And uh, but you know, there's something about not only the Word of God, but also uh, strong doctrinal music, the old hymns, that will bring him back into focus. And there's a song in the old school hymnal, and it's um, uh, called Murmur Not. What's the total title of that, Rosette? Wait and Murmur Not is the title of it. And he loves that song. You know, <laughs> and if you and you, if you heard the words to it, I don't have the hymnal here in front of me. Sometimes I'll read it to you, but and a lot of times he'll say, "Can we sing that? Can we sing this song?" You know, and it, the whole song is about the fact that just just wait and murmur not, just realize that God has bring brought all this into fruition. God is over the whole thing. That's awesome, and it's like like when the disciples were out there and they said, wow, I mean, even the waves, even the sea and the waves obey his will, you know? Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And that's what we're talking about. But, uh, well, this has been a really, I've really enjoyed this uh, tonight uh, because there's so many aspects of uh, our walk that we sometimes, we get discouraged And uh, you know we we get into the flesh and we get all stressed out, you know, which is denying God's sovereignty in life. And uh, you know, there's a song that says, "Sometimes I get discouraged and think my worth in vain. I'm tempted then to murmur and of my lot complain." But then I think of Jesus and all he's done for me and I cry, "O rock of ages, hide thou me," you know. And that should be our that should be our motto is that, you know, Christ, you know, we if we're trusting in our own frame, if we're trusting in our own works, if we're trusting in anything apart from Christ's work, we're going to be stressed out. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to be we're we're not going to be real happy about it. Um, now,
4: uh,
0: I'm going to find out here. It's amazing people keep joining us. Central Coastal California. I, is this Mark, possibly? Or is this Kevin? Or is it someone else? Anyway, we've got two Californians on now. And um, you're welcome to join us. We're kind of coming to a... Conclusion here. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on with us tonight, Bill from New York. You're you're one of the few New York people that we've had on, and I appreciate you sharing your story tonight. and And uh, right. may the good Lord may the may the good Lord continue to be with you in your uh, in it's 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 it you know it is a a. A tough world we're living in, I and mean, I was talking to someone recently. We had someone visit yesterday at Joplin Sovereign Grace Church, and he he moved up here from Chicago, and he said, "You know what?" He says, "I had to get out of Chicago. It's begin. It's like a war zone." He said, "It's like a war zone." He said, you go out, you walk out of your apartment, you don't know when you might just get shot. Just people just, you know, he said, it's crazy. Well, we're living in some strange times, you know, and I'm sure you can vouchsafe for that being a police officer in New York. I mean, uh, you probably never know, you know, when you're going to get called in in these situations. But there is a great consolation in knowing that God has all of this in in his hands, I love that. I love that song. We used to sing as children. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. <laughs> you know, yeah,
3: right.
0: he, he's not. He's not uh, in any way surprised by any of this because he ordained it all. But uh, well, listen, uh, we've been going about an hour and forty-two minutes. Um, Ed, do you have any final? Thoughts before we kind of bring this to a conclusion tonight. No, uh,
1: thank you very much for everybody's input. That was that was great. Enjoyed
0: it. Yes, and Ed, I would like to maybe uh, talk to you sometime. Um, uh, maybe within the next three or four days. I don't know what your schedule's like. Is it? Is there a better day to get a hold of you? You're are you on? You're on. Are you on Central Time? Or, no, you're. Uh, I'm, what, Eastern. What time? I'm
3: Eastern time. You're Eastern
0: time, so you're yeah. an hour later than me, aren't you? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, anyway, I like to call you sometime and get some thoughts. Um, maybe shoot you some material. Maybe have you go through with me. Let me get let me get one of those readers first, for, so I can get it. <laughs> one of those, uh, you know, one of those CD readers.
3: Um,
1: yeah, no, I can, I can, uh, I can send one off to you. That, they're easy. Yeah.
3: Okay. Guess, well, uh,
1: so it'll be on the way.
3: We're okay. Well, me.
0: just, well, just let me know what it is, and I'll get you a check for it because I don't want you to, you know, what I'm saying. But anyway, we'll do that. Okay, guys. Well, we're um, Bill. Do you have any final thoughts, or uh, as we conclude this out?
2: No, I really appreciate it, and uh, this was uh, definitely a fruitful conversation, and I. Look forward to talking to you guys again soon, and being back maybe next week, maybe not. I don't know, but uh, I'll definitely be joining you guys soon. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good.
0: Well, I want to say good night to Louise, Guest Five, Bill, Ed, um, Miss Freeman, uh, Carol, and and the two
4: Californians that I don't know who you are. (laughs) So, good night, everybody. Good I... uh, okay. night.